0: good morning fcs football fans did you miss us we're back and this is the fcs opening drive podcast presented by the connecticut school of broadcasting and football game Land. i am david Hassing, and to my left the czar of the playbook emory hunt emory good morning
1: good morning sir how are you feeling
0: whole lot better than last week, folks. It's amazing what can happen when a little tonsillitis decides to flare up on the day <laughs> you're trying to record your podcast. Uh, so we uh, obviously did not record that, and my voice is a little bit weak today. I apologize, but what can I say? When you're taking horse pills to try to take care of this thing, it doesn't really help either, so... Let's get into it, though, Emery, and we've got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk about coaching changes that are happening now because we didn't get to that last week. Unfortunately, we're not going to talk about the first round, folks, so we apologize for that. But we do have a lot of action to talk about in the second round. And maybe this year the committee got it right. All eight seeds advance into the quarterfinals. I don't know when the last time that was that that happened, but it looks like the committee got the top eight right. We're going to talk about our game balls. We're going to talk about some um, early All-Star games that are going to be coming up over the next couple of weeks. And, of course, we will break down the quarterfinals, which are going to be... There are some titanic matchups. A lot of them, three out of the four, are first-time matchups Wow! in the quarterfinals. So we've got some interesting uh, culture clashes, some uh, some long distances being traveled by these teams as well. But let's talk about the second round, Emery. And we have to talk, talk about the Bison of North Dakota State because, I mean, pure and utter domination... Once again, they manhandled Montana State 52-10. to 10. This is what we see from North Dakota State. Even if they're not overly impressive down the stretch of the regular
1: season, you put them in the postseason environment, you put them in the dome, and all of a sudden they're unbeatable. Well, and Montana State came in this ballgame with a good game plan, play defense, try to run the football. But again, in order to beat North Dakota State – Run game and defense can only take you so far. You have to be able to hit passes downfield. You have to be able to, to loosen up that pressure so that way you can run the football. Because if you don't, your defense will be out there for long periods of time, and we saw what happened when that happened to Montana State. Yep. North Dakota State is just too strong, too well balanced, and I'm not surprised that they were able to win this game in impressive fashion.
0: Well, there was one point, you texted me at one point, I think it was Lance Dunn, at one point had six carries and four <laughs> touchdowns. <laughs> right. It's just like, it, it's one of those things where, again... In the regular season, each one of these games, you know, each one of these running backs for North Dakota State had good games. Right. But not all three of them. And then you get into the postseason, and all of a sudden, they're all weapons. All three guys, Lance Dunn, Bruce Anderson, Ty Brooks, all went over 100 yards. Ty Brooks did it on six carries. <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do when you're – I mean, again, Montana State's not a bad defense. At all. They're not a bad team. They made it to be looked like amateurs. You're going to need a very, very special defense. To stop North Dakota State this year. Well,
1: they got one coming up
0: next week. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Let's move on to the number two seed, Weber State. This was a a little bit surprised that they were put up that high at number two, but they proved it. They took care of Southeast Missouri State 48 23. A good run for SEMO, though, getting into the second round, but Weber State just too strong.
1: Yeah, and this was one that I got wrong. I thought SEMO would win this ballgame because of their passing game, but credit, you know, Constantine for being able to win with his arm. So yep. I thought that was going to be the weak link. I thought because of the balance of the Red Hawks, they were going to be able to have some success. I thought their defense was comparable. Weber State's defense is obviously great, and I thought because of the balance of SEMO, they were going to have some success in this ball game. They had success early, and they stalled and Jay Constantine did a great job in throwing the football, providing balance to that offense, and that really is what killed Southeast Missouri State. In addition to Weber State's defense, really holding court like they've done all season long.
0: Exactly. I mean, you talk about that defense. Uh, Jordan Preeter, two interceptions uh, in this ball game, including, including bringing one back for a score. Uh, so Weaver State and you talked about Constantine, four touchdown passes this, in this game. They all came in the second quarter.
1: Yeah, and that, that's, that's bang, really bang, when bang, they bang. ran away with this game. Because, again, Southeast Missouri State had a lead. They had a little bit of control in this game. And then Weaver State just turned it on, just outpaced them, and really just blew this game out.
0: Yeah, and it it was really a dominant performance. Really impressive from Weber. Uh, We were looking for that. A little bit tougher game, though, for Eastern Washington. They had Nichols in the second round. Um, Nichols obviously coming off a a really nice win over San Diego, 49-30. They put up some nice points. And Nichols had control in this game until halftime. When you go for the last-second field goal, you better hope you make it because blocked field goal, Kendrick Johnson picks it up, takes it back for a score right at the end of the half. And that is a kick in the gut because Eastern Washington just completely flipped the script and they took control in the second half and
1: ran away with it. We saw this happen in the NFL yesterday, how a play before halftime Mm -hmm. sort of springboards. Saquon Barkley had a third and 23, a giveaway call. He got the first down. The Giants were able to put themselves in position to kick a field goal, a 57-yarder, in which Rosas makes it. Totally flips the script in the second half. The Giants outpaced the Bears for the win in overtime. Same thing happened in this one with Nichols. Nichols had legit control in this ball game. They, they looked the, great. They were balanced. The run game was kicking. The defense was able to turn the ball over, to get these guys off the field. But that play right before the half really doomed them, and that's what happened the rest of the way. Shout-out to Eric Barrier for being a, a true threat, dual threat in this game. But when McPherson is able to run the football as well, and that defense of Eastern Washington did a great job of of frustrating Nichols offense in the second half. Love the mm-hmm. adjustments they, they were able to make. This is a very dangerous team moving forward. Eastern Washington, we
0: talked about it, Eastern Washington all year long. The way that they can beat you both ways, either dominate you running the ball or throwing the ball deep, either one, they can really attack you well. Let's move into the game that involved the number four seed, Kennesaw State, and we, you know how we love bowl games. Right. If we're going to name this ball game before going, before name this playoff game a ball game, call it the Don't Blink Bowl, brought to you by Vizine or something <laughs> like that. Because they're taking on Wofford. Wofford, um, a nice win over Elon in the first round, but you've got two option running attacks. I believe the first quarter of this game took less than half an hour to play. It's a dr- that's a dream if you're a broadcaster. Oh, my God. But Kennesaw State, they had some problems with Wofford. And you, could, you saw what happened when you have two option offenses that were running relatively well. Neither team can really get control and put the, the points on the board. Kennesaw gets the late win, 13-10 to 10
1: over Wofford. And you add the third element in this ball game: The weather was terrible. Oh, it was brutal. It was, it was a torrential downpour, sloppy field, and the turnovers. Both teams just oh. really couldn't get out of their own way. So this one legitimately could have gone to either team. Yeah. So if you're Kennesaw State, you're glad you got out of there with a win, mm-hmm. you know, in that weather, in, that, you know, in those conditions – but if you're Wofford, you start to think about all of the opportunities that you had with the football that you turned the ball over. You're like, man, we really had that game won. Yep. You can't control Mother Nature, but if you're Kennesaw State, you're just glad to move on to the next round.
0: And it was funny. I tried to come up with like one game ball nominee for each of these games. This one was Mother Nature. Because, B- bingo. Because <laughs> no, <laughs> nobody was good enough on the stat sheet to be worthy of a game ball besides the people who didn't screw it up. Um, but we talked about Wofford, though. This is a team that had kind of messed up. You know, they had had chances where they could take advantage of mistakes all year long and didn't. That's why they weren't a ranked team. They didn't get one of those top eight seeds on a bye. And they kind of showed it. Again, yeah. weather conditions were gone, were all absolutely awful for both teams in this game. But problems you see in the regular season get mirrored in the playoffs. At some point, no matter how well you're playing, it'll pop up again. Uh, number five seed, South Dakota State. Um, they were taking on Duquesne. Duquesne got a nice, an upset win over Towson in the first round, 31 10. And then reality set in, because South Dakota State looked scary good, 51-6. to six. And again, this is a team that you could see against North Dakota State before the finals. And if I'm North Dakota State, I do not want a Dakota marker playoff game again, because this is a scary ball club.
1: And what happened in this one was easy. It was a, a great back and forth early. South Dakota State got the lead. Uh, what a great touchdown throw by Taron Christian, man. I'm talking about he threw it on the run, mm-hmm. hit the guy running to the corner, in stride, in his hands. It was tremendous accuracy. And then the weather happened. Yep. Snowstorm, blizzard. You don't and, get those Duquesne. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I don't know, man. Like Pittsburgh, <laughs> that, that lake affects snow. Uh, okay, maybe, you know, maybe a little bit. A but little bit. South Dakota State was, it was ready to, to play in the snow. And there was nothing Duquesne's offense could do once – South Dakota State was able to stop A.J. Hines and slow him down. It was a non-factor. They pretty much shut down Duquesne's offense.
0: There's something about the teams in that upper Northwest. Did you see uh, Northwestern before the game against Minnesota? Yeah. They're going out and they're warming up shirtless (laughs) like three hours before game time. (laughs) They won the game. So I don't care if it's, I don't think it's that stupid. But no, South Dakota State, again, this has been the team that's been under the radar all year long. Mm -hmm. We've talked about the Bison, we've talked about how good Kennesaw is. You know, you talk about how good the teams in the Big Sky are, you know, with good reason. South Dakota State's just kind of been on the outside, and they're just kind of waiting. You know, they're, they're the dude, and when the fight's going on, they're just kind of waiting on the outside, waiting for that, oh, oh, oh there's a good chance transfer, transfer <laughs> box, bang, and then just gets right back on the outside. You know what? You guys go about your business. When the time comes, we're going to be ready to go. So South Dakota State, there's a reason there are a lot of people's dark wars to move on into uh, make a deep run here. The number six seed, UC Davis. Um, they had a challenging game. Northern Iowa uh, got a 16-13 win over Lamar in the first round. And Northern Iowa, again, they've played teams tough all through the year, so this wasn't a total surprise, but UC Davis, you figured they might you know exploit it a little bit more.
1: Wasn't the case, but they got a hard-fought win, 23-16. The defense of the Aggies were the, was the story in this one. They turned yes. the ball over at a high clip. In in crucial situations, they were able to come up with interceptions and fumbles and really frustrate Northern Iowa's offense. And Jake Meyer, yeah, he threw forward three hundred yards, but the Aggies defense and the way they played with that same level of passion and enthusiasm. And Keelan Dawson is as good as advertised. So this was just a complete team win. Plus, I I even tweeted this out, but I have to give a shout out to U C. Davis's crowd. Yes, yes. You know, this program you know is kind of ho hum. And then Dan Hawkins gets there. They had some moderate success last year in his first season. Mm-hmm. This year they're in the playoffs and a strong-looking football team with a pro prospect in Keelan Dawson, a really good quarterback in Jake Mayer. But the fact that those fans packed that stadium—I mm-hmm. think it was over 8,300 8, 8, or so at the at the stadium—but it looked packed. It looked good on TV. Yeah. It showed well. They were enthusiastic. All of that right there shows you that teams do, uh, fan bases do care about the FCS. Level, They do care about big games. That team and that that, uh, program, I thought, fed off the energy of the crowd, which allowed them to close out this game. Because just when you thought UC Davis was about to run away with it, Northern Iowa came storming back, got themselves in position to make plays. They were making some great plays themselves. But UC Davis was able to answer. And I think a lot of it was due to how well they were feeding off the energy by their home crowd. So I I thought that was just a great – showcase game for the fcs there's
0: there's a blueprint there for other programs around the country there's you know that are good programs that don't draw right to, to say okay what did they do to get the student body especially get them out and the local community and get them well sports i team. mean
1: you and i know uh the report came out that the attendance was significantly down this week or in the second round juxtaposed to last year mm-hmm. but i believe weather had a lot to do with I mean, you look at Kennesaw. Kennesaw was garbage. You look at the snowstorm out there at South Dakota State. Yep. You know, I, I get it. So, I, you know, I think that played a big role in it. But you have to also be happy to see the turnout at UC Davis, you yeah. know. so Let's move on to the number seven seed, and that was the University of Maine,
0: the CAA champions, New Maine Black Bears. I think they're still kind of in shock. They're, I don't think they realize what they're doing yet. Um, they had an interesting game, though, Jacksonville State. Uh, who got past East Tennessee State in a really good game in the first round. Jacksonville State, perennial powerhouse, top 10 team from the start of the poll right to the end usually. Maine look, made them look amateur, 55-27. Where did the offense come from from the UMaine Black Bears? Because we know what they're going on defense. That's what they've always been good at. 55 points in a playoff game?
1: Where did that come from? i tell you, this is another one I got wrong. I thought Jacksonville State was going to win this game. I, I trusted their perimeter passing attack. <laughs> But, man, when you talk about a team starting the game with it on on their mind, like, you know what, we're not losing today. They came out the blocks beating the stuffing out of the Gamecocks. And when you look at why they were able to win, they attacked them at their strength. Jacksonville State has tremendous corners. They have a good safety. And Marlon Bridges is going to be an NFL player next year. Mm -hmm. He's a junior. They were like – We don't give a damn. We're attacking deep down the field. They connected on passes. Their receivers were making tough catches. Chris Thompson, the quarterback, was throwing the heck out of the football. I was thoroughly impressed. I even tweeted out during the game that Maine is playing this game like they're ready to win a championship. Jacksonville State is playing this game like they are ready to go home. And this was in the first quarter when it was like 23 to nothing or some ridiculous score like that. Then you saw Jacksonville State come back. That's and try to still. make it a game like two touchdown game it was, it was within striking distance but you never really felt that nah. Maine was in danger of, of letting this team win this game No, nah. so credit nah. the Black Bears complete dominance and this team has that look yeah. about them because they, they have the balance on offense that I like yeah. defensively they're good you know borderline great and they, they have the right mindset of a team that is looking to go deep into the playoffs and go far. And and it's all about that momentum. You win that first game in a rivalry game against
0: UNH. Yep. That started the momentum. and Every domino has fallen since then. Upset FBS
1: team in, um, who did they beat? Oh, Western Kentucky. Yeah. They should have beaten Central Michigan. So maybe I was wrong for sleeping on this team going into this ball game here against Jacksonville State because they've proven themselves Throughout the season. They're now on a five-game winning streak. Unbelievable. So we'll see what happens Their Final game of,
0: uh, it was probably the most anticipated, involved the number 8 seed. Colgate, we've talked about their defense incessantly. I'm sure people (laughs) are sick and tired of hearing about the Colgate defense, but we're we're sorry. This is something that is historic. We can't stop talking about it. But they had the JMU Dukes come into town. Now, obviously, (laughs) this is a bit of a change of scenery for JMU. You know, they get up to Albany, and you know, at Orono is kind of like this. Getting up to Watertown, New York, it's a it's a different <laughs> it's a different place. It's a tough place to play. Colgate had to show up and play their best defensive game. Period, and they did it 23-20 over the JMU Dukes, two years ago's national champion, last year's runner up, knocked out in the second round. And then, of course, Coach Houston after that decides, nope, I'm moving up to the as F- which had been rumored. We'll get to that in a second. But Colgate pulls it off again and five interceptions on defense. They did, They were – I don't care what conference you're coming from. Come on. Well, let's play. Let's go. And they pulled it off again.
1: Man, it, <laughs> what is this, game, this game was impressive from a defensive standpoint because I thought the, their offense struggled – Against a very good defense in James Madison, True. I thought James Madison came ready to play. True, uh, especially in the secondary, man, they they were as good as advertised, and it was about it came it came down to which quarterback was going to make the least amount of mistakes. Right, GMU five interceptions. Come on, man, like you you can't win like that. But there's a reason why Colgate was the way they were, and I'm glad they got this particular win against this particular opponent in this particular fashion. Because their offense didn't play his best game. No. They needed their defense to really come through multiple times. And he came through a bevy of times. And credit Grant Brenneman for his running ability. Because that helped him out and helped him overcome some inaccuracies in throwing the football in this ball game. But this is the mark of a team that's a quote-unquote champion. This was a tough matchup for Colgate. Yeah. Along the line of scrimmage. Because James Madison is good on both sides of the ball up front. Colgate had their challenges up front with their offensive line, but their defense was able to frustrate the pocket. Secondary was able to make plays on the ball consistently. Rarely saw them drop an opportunity to make the interception. They made those plays. And you like how this team still was able to win without playing their best game. That's impressive.
0: And exactly. And you talk about, too, going into this game, their last game was against Army. Right. Which, again, is a game they lost to lose their perfect record. But, again, you have to wonder about... What kind of tune up is that you, know, you go from an option offense that you 're facing on the o line you know how do you disrupt that defensively now you got a CAA team. How do you disrupt that defensively because again it 's a, a similar size but more physical instead of instead of a movement we 'll talk about the matchup later on, but they 're kind of moving up the ladder in terms of the defenses and their and the offense that they 're facing here, moving along with their season. Uh, game balls for this week um, let 's start with. The running back from UMaine, Ramon Jefferson, 26 carries, 186. Two scores uh, for the Black Bears in an
1: incredible offensive performance against Jacksonville State. Well done. I mean, he played well, man. And that right there gets you you the game ball. And they were dominant up front. They ran the ball well. They threw the football well vertically down the field. I was very impressed. I'm going to give a game ball to Colgate's defense, number one, for the five turnovers. But Grant Kramer of Drake. (laughs) <laughs> An under-the-radar game, Under-the-radar game. Last-minute <laughs> sub-in for Incarnate Word. Oh, we'll play Iowa State. Let, let's see what happens. Drake almost pulled off the upset <laughs> this Almost game. pulled off the upset. He did pull off the upset in, uh, against the spread. They were 42-point underdogs and <laughs> lost by three, with Grant Kramer throwing for 221 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, in a pouring rainstorm. So not only did Drake nearly <laughs> knock off 23rd ranked iowa state (sighs) kramer was out there slinging it in a rainstorm going toe to toe with a big 12 opponent a good one so shout out to grant kramer throwing the heck out of the football against iowa state making me look like a genius saying that this guy was a (laughs) pro prospect and he should have a big test today and i truly believe he passed that test so that's another game ball that's definitely a game ball um i'm gonna go with Chris Puzzi, the uh, kicker
0: from Colgate. Three field goals. They needed all of them. Including the game winner. They needed every point they could get. He came up clutch. They weren't from 50 yards, but you know what? As long as they go through, that's all that matters. Three field goals
1: in the win. Credit to game ball goes to Corn State and Southern. Mm-hmm. That was a very good, entertaining game for the SWAG title. Yes. I was watching that game as I was watching Ohio State with clear-cut QB1 Dwayne Haskins tearing up uh, Northwestern with just yeah. precise, deadly accuracy. Yeah. You know, if he is not the first quarterback taken in the draft, then teams are drafting stupidly. So <laughs> so the Jets are not going to take him. They're not going to take him. <laughs> if he's not a New York Giant, the Giants are doing everything wrong. Because you pair him with all that talent. But this is an FCS show. We're not going to get into the draft right now or Big Ten football. But back to the Swag Championship game. It was back and forth. I thought the offensive coordinator of Southern, uh, uh Bailey, did a uh, did a great job in um, calling this game. Yeah. And the offense kept Alcorn State off balance. And when you look at the defense of Alcorn State, they, they really didn't have an answer. But it was their offense. The passing game was there running game, Deshaun Waller is a great game. Yeah, he was outstanding and he looks like the next pro player uh, coming from that backfield. So, credit to Coach Fred McNair for having his team overcome some mistakes and really push through to get the victory to go to the Celebration Bowl. Credit Dawson Odom for uh, having his team game and Ladarius Skelton is a problem Mm -hmm. moving forward. So, I would say we may see these two teams back in the SWAC championship again next year. Southern looks good, and it's going to be good as long as Skelton is controlling the the, the football at, at the quarterback.
0: And you, you mentioned uh, Deshaun Waller, but also Noah Johnson also had a very good game uh, for all He had put up 147 yards and two touchdowns himself um, in that one. So many other game balls that we could mention, but before we go to break, let's talk about some all-star games that are coming up. We got uh, some of the first of these uh, – what what would you call them emery they're 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 kind of prospect bowls what 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 would you say they're kind of they're along the line of the senior bowl obviously yeah, but, but for more of you know FCS and lower
1: talent basically is what it is right and and it's is berry the the OC for southern um but yeah the FCS bowl is a, is a great organization uh, because they do this these games they they run the FCS bowl they run the national bowl they also run the tropical bowl which will be in January that's more FBS players with a mix of you know some top tier FCS and and two all those guys like it was predominantly FBS, but the FCS bowl specifically for the FCS players, you know, t- th- if you remember this is before your time, uh, so you won't remember this, but they used to have all they used to have three All Star games or so four, you had the Senior Bowl, mm-hmm. which was in Mobile, um, you had the Sh- East West Shrine Game, which at the time was in san francisco right yeah you know before they moved to saint pete right um they had the hula bowl which is in hawaii uh which is a good one and then they had the blue gray all-star classic and the blue gray game was in montgomery alabama and this game was played christmas day Hmm. and the reason why you don't see the blue gray game anymore is because there's 45 bowl games so <laughs> yeah. this this game, the, the blue gray game, was supposed to be for it was essentially for teams that weren't playing in bowl games. So you had like a ton of talent, yeah. giving them, the, and this was a great time for them to play. Obviously, it sucks playing on Christmas Day, but it was a great game. So without that, you have like now the NFLPA Shrine and Senior Bowl. So a lot of politics goes into these all star games. So mm-hmm. you're going to see a lot of small school guys get squeezed out. So that's why a game like the FCS Bowl is huge. Right. So this game being played now, it definitely services players that did not make the playoffs. Right. Or teams were just recently eliminated. I know it sucks playing right now in December, uh, so you can't really get a lot of guys to commit to this game because of finals and things of that nature. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the guys you were able to get, you still have a lot of talent. This is a, a game that's well, a practices that are going to be well attended by NFL scouts and CFL scouts too I did the Tropical Bowl, Bowl broadcast last year um, and it was all NFL teams were there all CFL teams were there and I've broken down the rosters for the FCS Bowl and National Bowl every year right now I'll be the broadcaster on this game so I'll be down there, there Thursday and covering the event during you know the practices and also broadcasting the game and so I just love the fact that they have an opportunity to put together a, a game Showcasing talent at the FCS In yep. front of scouts And it should be a good collection of talent That we've talked about Throughout the season well, Let's talk about some of that talent There's
0: obviously quite a few names That um, we've mentioned here on the podcast before What are some of the names you're looking at here That have, are that are on the rosters um, That we should keep an eye on For potentially getting Also getting uh, invitations to other All-Star games
1: Well I mean you look at A guy that just recently played in the playoffs And Matthew uh, Pice. Um, Pike, I'm sorry, out of East Tennessee State, the offensive line, one of Mm -hmm. the best linemen in the SoCon. He's going to be down there. And you look at the job he did against Jacksonville State. That's a good matchup uh, to test how good you are as a quote-unquote pro prospect because we know about Robinson um, uh, on the interior defensive line for Jacksonville State. And the Gamecocks do a great job up front anyway and and provide a tough challenge, and he held his own. I mean, that offense really was moving the football at, at will against Jacksonville State. So I'm excited to see mm-hmm. him down there. And Presbyterian's wide receiver, Deshaun Davis. Really didn't get much attention this year. Yeah, and, and here's why. When they announced that they were going to go to non-scholarship football and move to the Pioneer, mm-hmm. a lot of their talent, it was a mass exodus. You right. saw Rock Sin leave and transfer to Temple, and now he has a Senior Bowl invite. Which is understandable, though. You can see why the, why these kids are making it Right, he transferred up. Um, Bridges... Uh, was the running back last year who left and went to Chattanooga and was Chattanooga's leading rusher last year. Right. Or Donnell Bridges. And so I was shocked to see a guy like Davis stick stick around because he was there to do everything. So they lost a lot of talent. Davis stayed, played well, and he's a guy that's going to have, you know, success as a returner, slot receiver. Right. Can't wait to see him uh, get down there and play. Uh, I'm going to talk about a couple names here.
0: Um it's going to be an interesting one on both sides. As well. and it'll be interesting to watch during the practice as well when you have guys at the FCS level on both sides of the ball trying to you know, trying to impress against one right. another. So in one case, you have two guys on the same team here, but again obviously they're going to be practicing against each other. Brandon Varner, defensive lineman out of Grambling. Again, Grambling with um, the sanctions that they had this year, yeah. not being able to go to the SWAC title game. Kind of got forgotten about. There's still plenty of talent on that roster. Oh, yeah. Grambling's got plenty. On the same team, you've got Ryan Fultz, the running back out of Wagner. <sighs> Who again? You're talking about a downhill runner in between the tackles. So in that practice, he's going to be running into Varner a lot. So it'll be interesting to see. But Folson, another great year, seventeen hundred yards. Didn't have the touchdown production maybe of past seasons, but this is a kid who's run for two thousand yards in the past. This is a kid who you give him a chance as maybe a fullback in the
1: at the next level. I think when, when shot here. I think he is going to be one of those guys that may end up being a Shrine game invite, too. Yeah. I mean, I was at the Boy Bowie, uh, Bowie State game, and his long speed is ridiculous. Yeah. So you give him a, a, a lane, and he's going to he's gonna house it. And he's been the big playmaker for um, Wagner and Coach Hotaling for the whole time he's been there, and has stepped up in big games like in Syracuse and all the big games they played. False was, yeah. was there. I also look at another big-time player, Aaron Blockman out of Campbell, Big time receiver. I did the Georgetown Campbell broadcast, and, and Blockman is just he pregame. I'm watching him work, warm up, and I'm like, man, this dude just looks like a pro receiver, and he runs really well. So he has a height, weight, speed that they love to look for. Um, the athleticism is going to do do a, a great job. I also look at the Delaware State, State Twins. I had both of those guys <laughs> on. I did multiple Delaware State games this year with covering Morgan State and Howard. So That's going seen, to be a
0: nightmare, though.
1: Oh, man. Uh, and they're both really good players. Kiwan Selby is a corner with great ball skills. Right. Like, doesn't miss an opportunity to catch an interception. And Teron Selby is the receiver who stepped up big uh, in the game against, I want to say it was against Morgan State, where he was just gloving everything and just catching everything. And so seeing those two twins compete again, uh in this all star game, both well deserved. I'm excited to see those guys play as well. Just,
0: just be thankful they're not like imagine if like one was a corner, one was a safety. Oh the my same God, side. Right, exactly. It's just a nightmare for you as a broadcaster. I'm gonna throw out another name here too, Colin McGovern, the quarterback from Stetson. Yep. Again, we've been talking about how impressive the Stetson Hatters were this year, going eight and two. Again, I know, D three upon the yeah, whatever. He still threw for thirty three thousand yards and twenty six touchdowns with only six picks. So again, I and mean, he had some he had some very nice targets.
1: As well, well, his <laughs> his play is a reason why they were able to. I mean, give him we got to give him credit for what they were able to do this year. Exactly, you know, because he played well, and the team, as a result, had their best season in program history. And this is a guy who, again who has struggled with Stetson
0: as well. Took over the starting duties last year um, after redshirting in 2016. He actually started at Wagner, yeah, in 2014, then transferred to Stetson. Um, he's actually a New Jersey native, so kind of got out of his comfort zone. Uh, but I mean, not a
1: bad place to go down in Florida. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I, I guess I can deal with that. You, know, you still got to have a logo that's a hat. It's a little weird. I like
1: Stetson's <laughs> mascot. You bug it. I'm, I'm going to give credit to a uh, couple more defenders, too. I'm excited to see Raphael Lewis out of Houston Baptist. He's one of their top corners. True. Uh, a great performer in the Southland Conference. One of the few bright spots on that football team. And Dylan Hamilton out of Alabama A&M. A guy that can play corner or safety Probably more of a safety at the next level. Good ball skills. He was one of our guys to watch on our preseason pro prospect list when we did the, the SWAC preview and things of that nature. Right. So excited to see him get out there and compete. Alabama a and I think, is going to be another team to watch out for next year in the SWAC. They
0: had a very good season this really year. Really good year. And this, and again, folks, you talk about you know what, what's the importance of this game. It's only FCS versus other FCS and maybe D2. You'd play well enough in this game. You stand out. You get that invite to another You know, superstar. You know, another All Star game down the road because the
1: best FCS guys are already getting are already getting those invites. Yeah, they're they're taking up those invites right now, and then these are guys that. And one thing I've noticed by covering All Star games, you know, for the last six or seven years, is that there are always injuries, Mm -hmm. and these All Star games are always looking for call ups. Yep. You know, so you're going to see guys play in both Shrine Game and Senior Bowl. Right. And guys go down. We saw this last year. Uh, with one of the offensive linemen at the last minute decided he wasn't going to play in the Shrine game because of an a injury he had in in a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And so so they had to call up a guy from the Tropical Bowl, which was a, an offensive lineman from William & Mary. So these all-star games matter. Scouts are there. They're watching. Um, I don't have the numbers on hand. I do have it. They do have it on the website. So visit the website at fcsbowl.com of the guys that have played in this game that have gone to the NFL and also the CFL or maybe other pro contracts whether it be in the arena or overseas playing in you know, the German Football League, what have you. So there's a, a healthy amount of alum coming from these games. And so it's two games actually. It's going to be the FCS Bowl and the National Bowl. And the National Bowl is probably more along the lines of D2, D3, NAIA guys.
0: Right. So you still got the, the real small school there. But again, you impress and you overperform, you get that invite. Folks, we're going to be taking a quick break here on the podcast. When we come back, we're going to be talking about some coaching changes. The coaching carousel has begun in the FCS, not going as frenetically, as, as uh, pace wise, as it was last year, where we had what? Ridiculous. 2025 20, different coaching right. changes, something ridiculous. Uh, we've had a couple of hires, and we'll get Emory's opinions on those hires as we go along and some more high profile jobs keep opening up around the country in fcs we'll talk about all those and then of course we will get into the quarterfinals. all eight top eight seeds are into the quarters it's strength versus strength now folks there's no there's no cinderella plot plot this year despite how crazy 2018 has been we'll talk about all those games the matchup who our favorites are when we come back after this quick message so you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbro
1: Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands
0: since 1915
1: OCSB.com.
0: Welcome back, folks, to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting and Football Game Plan. Again, folks, if you want to listen back on any of the podcasts from this year, don't forget to go to SoundCloud or iTunes, search Football Game Plan in the podcast section, and subscribe while you're up there so you don't miss any Football Game Plan content. Don't forget to go to YouTube.com slash Football Game Plan for all of the preview videos uh, that Emory puts up every week without fail. Um, especially now that we're into the nitty-gritty of the playoff season. You don't want to miss all of his breakdowns on all of the big games and see what he thinks in case you want to, well, I don't know, place an occasional bet you know, possibly for, you know, eh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll get into that, folks. Um, but, again, follow us as well on Twitter. Follow us on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud so you don't miss anything. Emery, let's get into the second half of the podcast here, and let's talk about the coaching carousel. As we said last year – There were about twenty or twenty-five different coaching jobs that opened up all at once. It seems to go, it seems to kind of go in ebbs and flows here. Not as many this season, um, but we have already had some um, jobs that have been filled. So why don't we talk about those first, and we'll talk. We'll talk, of course, about the big job that we've already kind of talked about a little bit at William and Mary. Jimmy Laycock retiring after thirty-nine seasons. Mike London, the Howard head coach, takes over as the new head coach at William and Mary. We already talked about this hire, but. How good do you think
1: he's going to make this program again? Oh, he's going to make it great, man. I, I love this hire, and I love the coordinators he bring, he's bringing over. To. He's bringing over a few guys from his Howard staff, and I just love the fact that you know he's going home. Yeah, you know, this is one of his first coaching jobs. Is William and Mary? Uh, he met his wife there at William and Mary, and so he has a lot of ties to the seven five seven area. You know, and right. I think this is a good fit. He has experience recruiting in Virginia at types of schools like William & Mary, which obviously was uh, evident by his his tenure at Richmond, winning the national championship. So I think William & Mary is going to be on the upswing. I love the go-go offense, and Brennan Marion, his offensive coordinator that comes with him from Howard. E.J. Barthol is a recruiting dynamo. He's a guy that's going to get great players to come in. He was the running backs coach there at Howard they're bringing him over as well. So love the additions. Love this fit. William and Mary would be a sleeper team to watch moving forward, Con- considering how they finished the season. Yeah. Now you add this this offense with, you know, stronger O line play. Yeah. It's going to be an issue. Let's move on to uh, Texas Southern.
0: Michael Hayward uh, resigned there after three seasons. Only went eight and twenty five. Uh, so that was one of, kind of a writing on the wall situation there. You know, resign or you're going to get fired. That right. sort of thing. Um, but they do have their new hire already. Clarence McKinney, the running backs coach from the University of Arizona, comes in and takes over. What, what can we expect from this hire? This is kind of an under-the-radar hire here. Well,
1: he's coached in Texas before, and so, okay. he, so he has recruiting ties uh, in Texas. So it, it makes sense, and he knows how to get the talent there. And he's coming from the FBS level, and, and Haywood did as well. He just had a, a hiatus. Uh, prior to coming back into coaching. But love this hire for Texas Southern. Another one of those sleeping giant programs because, again, you're in a metro city. You should be able to acquire metro talent. Um, If you can put a fence around Houston and keep top talent in Mm -hmm. in the city, like the University of Houston did with Ed Oliver. Mm -hmm. He was a Houston kid. Got him to stay home. He was a five-star recruit. That doesn't usually happen. Mm -hmm. If Texas Southern can do the same thing, they're going to make significant strides in this swag. Talking about another Texas school that's um,
0: getting some help from within the state lines. Um, Stephen F. Austin. Uh, Jeff Bird uh, was the interim head coach there. They have found his replacement, and it's Colby Carthel, the head coach from Texas A&M Commerce from the D2 level. This is a team that was in the national championship game last year. They won it. Won that championship game. He's been there from 2013 all the way to the present day. This could be a dynamo hire for Stephen F. Austin in a Southland conference that, as we saw this year, is now anybody's
1: conference to win in any given season. And when you look at how Commerce was able to have success, in a lot of ways, they were already a Southland conference team. Oh, they're scary. You know, they're, they can move the football down the field. Has a They have a pro prospect or pro player uh, in the um, Alliance of American Football and. Luis Perez, the quarterback, he was with the Rams, uh, and now he's going to be with—I forget which team—the Bolt, uh, the Birmingham Iron. He's with in the American the Alliance of American Football. Commerce guy Cartho can coach his, coach his ass off, and you look at the recruiting already in place in Texas. This was a, I think, is a home run hire.
0: Absolutely, a home run hire. Let's talk about some of the other coaching opportunities, and we're just going to go right down the list in alphabetical order here because we do not play favorites. Bingo, ever. Let's start with the Ivy League. Brown, Phil Estes, the uh, coach there for 21 seasons, uh, he finally resigned his coaching duties, led, the, led Brown to three league titles during his reign there. Um, but Brown certainly is the, bottom, is the bottom of the standings and has been there for a few years now in the Ivy League. What kind of coach do you think they're going to look for to kind of resurrect this program?
1: I think with the way football is now you've got to go with an offensive guy. You've got to find an a mm-hmm. offensive, creative player, a play caller, and and... To me, you, you don't have any bad jobs in the Ivy League. No. All programs have money. All programs are willing to invest in the football program. And they are willing to give coaches time to, to you know get their process in place and move forward. And we, you know, it's obvious that Estes has been there, what, 21 years. So I think they have to go with an offensive guy. I, I think I would tend to agree, especially
0: with the teams, how they're playing now, Darbeth, Princeton – You've seen Columbia rise up with right. like kind of an offensive game. The Ivy League has changed a bit from its, uh, what you but typically But there's still there.
1: room for defense, though, man. I mean, yeah, there's still room for a good defensive team in the Ivy League. But I think from a Brown perspective, going with a, a creative offense where they can put points up on the board in and bunches and, and find unique ways to, to challenge opponents, I think that's going to be the direction they go in. Let's move on to the next job here. Eastern Illinois,
0: uh, Kim Dameron has um, had his contract not renewed after five seasons. 27-30, one playoff appearance uh, for Eastern Illinois, but certainly um, got to the end of the rope and wasn't good enough for
1: the athletic director there. Yeah, and it's a solid program, I believe. It's one of those programs they've had success. They've been in the championship game before. Um, they gave them five years, which is a good deal. Good to see. Which yeah, is good you, to see. you want to see that. At least allow me to coach out my first recruiting class. Like Last year we saw so many coaches that were fired after like one season yeah. two
0: seasons and you're like how are you supposed to build anything
1: case in point you look at the situation we talked about uh pre with morgan state right coaching while the coaching search is going on oh you're not going to get hired but you're just going to coach us yeah you know so doesn't make any sense right and i think that right there shows you how you really put a coach in a bad spot yeah and so and that's one of the spots that still remain open
0: Let's talk about again the Howard job. Mike London obviously moving to William & Mary um, was 11 and 10 there in two seasons in charge of the Bison. What do you see Howard doing now? Obviously they found something that that worked was starting to really work. Now he's gone. What do you do as Howard? Do
1: you stay in house? I think they stay in house. I think the name to to keep an eye on is Vincent Brown. Okay. Who is a great coach and I'm surprised uh that he didn't go with Coach London to William & Mary but Maybe he sees himself as the head coach at Howard, which is why he didn't go. And I think Vincent Brown and, and what he's able to do, uh, you know, he, he he was instrumental in seeing the turnaround on the defensive side of the ball. I think that right there is gonna be probably the the direction they go. It'll be interesting to see who will his coordinators be if he gets a job on offense. This was rumored
0: going into round two um action this week. And it's come to fruition the coaching opportunity at JMU Mike Houston um, has decided to leave the Dukes After three, I guess, pretty successful seasons yeah, Three decent seasons Three seasons, seasons. Yeah, moderate success Not not bad uh, well, Two national title games, including one championship win uh, So he's moving up to the FBS level There's a lot of rumors of where he's going It sounds like East Carolina might be where he's going There was rumors that Charlotte might be involved But then that got pulled There's a whole bunch of different questions there um, but he had an incredible career with JMU. Who? Do you, how do you release a legend that's taken this JMU team and really propelled it? Do you again? Do you hire
1: in-house? If the in-house staff stays, you know, like he may take this group all the way to East Carolina with him. Because the same staff, right? I would be interested to see how they play this situation out, man. That's this is a program that has FBS potential. True. You know, so true. Will that be part of the? The new coach's contract. Are, mm, I want to see movement toward. Right. Are, are we getting a guarantee here? So I'm interested to see who takes this job and which direction they can go in because this is a rare, big time program that has an opening at the peak. Bingo. At its peak, like because next year's JMU team is going to be better than this year's team. Like you, you thought William and Mary was a big job when it opened up, right? All
0: of a sudden, JMU's available, and all the coaches who were looking at William & Mary and like, oh, no. Wait, excuse me? What? All right.
1: <laughs> um, hello? <laughs> I'm back again. Um, let's talk about another t- here. i I'll give a name, though, that I think is, would be a good hire. Uh-oh. He's the tight ends coach, but associate head coach at Memphis, Will Hall. Interesting. Will Hall was a head coach at West Georgia when they were, when they were perennial playoff Interesting. powers. Interesting. He took the job at my Louisiana Raging Cajuns as the OC. So he stepped down from the head coach, did the Joe head route, stepped down from right. the head coach, took the OC job at Louisiana. They, they let go the coaching staff. After one season, he landed at Memphis. And lo and behold, Memphis is doing great things offensively with the running back. They're kind of hoping they could get him on the defensive side. Exactly. Of the ball right. <laughs> was right. And so I think with Coach Hall's, track record of success on offense he was the harlan hill trophy winner right um at the division two level so he this is the division two heisman he won that became an excellent coach and now as an offense so he's coached at the division two fbs level now he's you know mm. he's a name that i think a lot of people need to know so to me that would be a great hire for james madison interesting three more programs to go here um,
0: this next one is one of those things where what could have been and that's McNeese State uh, Lance Guidry not having his contract renewed three seasons 21 and 12 what happens if they get into the playoffs as they should have two years ago with nine wins they didn't this year they were favorites to win the Southland they kind of really just collapsed on themselves and they moved in a different direction here
1: sleeping giant program man I viewed this program in the same light as I do James Madison yeah Whoever gets this job is going to have a turnkey situation where you're going to have a lot of talent, right? In a talent-rich state, I've said this before. Find me the terrible teams in the state of Louisiana at all mm-hmm. levels. Yep. So you're gonna, <laughs> you you don't have bad teams at the FBS or FCS level in Louisiana. Yep. All the teams are good, which speaks to the volume of talent at the high school level. Right. Whoever gets this job. You kind of figure it's going to be another Louisiana guy. You saw what Brad Lair did at Northwestern State, his alma mater. Right. But you could say the same thing about um, Guidry. He was a McNeese guy. Yeah. So whoever gets his job is going to do well. Let's move
0: on to another uh, another longtime coach, um, Jerome Sowers. Um, Twenty one seasons at Northern Arizona. A lot of long standing coaches. Of course, Jimmy Laycock was the focus, but you have. Sowers now retiring after twenty one seasons. Phil essence at Brown twenty one seasons. By the way, shout out to Coach Snyder at Kansas State retiring after what twenty
1: something seasons. After after like <laughs> <laughs> three decades. I, three three I can't I can't even find a joke to make there's so many. <laughs> um but um,
0: obviously a good career for um, coach Sowers at Northern Arizona, twenty one seasons, one twenty three and one fourteen, um five playoff appearances, one conference title. This is a Northern Arizona team that was pretty good last season. This year they kind of fell off. They've had injury problems a lot the last couple seasons. But, again, a program that in the big sky, there's certainly an opportunity
1: there to grow this program. And I love the fact that they're going to keep Coach around within the program. Yes. So he's going to have his f- hand, his fingerprints all over the program and whoever is the new hire. So. He's retiring from coaching, but not retiring from the from right. the school, and and you know he's going to be involved in the athletic program. So that's a great thing. Um, another situation where they've been quietly been able to recruit well in Flagstaff. Consistent,
0: they're a consistent, consistent program.
1: Program. If Case Cookers can ever stay healthy, <laughs> but now he's going to be without his two top receivers because last year they lose Marks. This year Butler is going to the NFL. Yeah, so Cookers is going to have to break in some new receivers. But this is another situation where. It seems like there's always talent on this football team, yeah, for sure.
0: One other um, coaching job that is currently unoccupied, and that 's the job at sacramento state shocking uh, Jody Sears fired after five seasons, twenty and thirty five um, certainly looked like he was turning that program around the last two or three years, especially, um, but not much patience and again, this is kind of a, it 's a weirder program though because it is in California, but you 're talking northern California, so you 're not talking about as big of a football hotbed as you would get down in Southern California. There's some challenges to this job at Sac State.
1: Yeah, and he was, I thought he was building in the right direction. I, you know, no, definitely. You got guys that are in the NFL playing from Sacramento State. You also have a guy, you lost your top pass rusher uh, this year due to injury um, in Obena, the, the outside edge rusher. So he had some challenges, but he was able to bring in top talent and had developed that talent. So I think this is another one of those sleeping programs that someone's going to get and have a UC Davis type situation. Absolutely,
0: and we'll keep an eye on folks on all of these um, coaching opportunities. There, sometimes there are more firings the next couple of weeks, um, and but very often this is where you start to get your hires already because it is recruiting season.
1: With the two uh,
0: signing days, like it's critical. With the, with to the two signing days, you need to have your coach in place so right now. You know, we'll see, we'll keep an eye on the coaching carousel. There are certainly some pretty good programs out there that are looking for a new head ball coach. So we'll keep an eye on all of those. But let's get into what we're everyone's focused on, and that is the quarterfinals of the playoffs. As we said, all eight seeds got through to the quarterfinal round. I'm not sure when the last time that happened was. I'm sure that's something that Craig Haley and our research department could probably look up. <laughs> Re- research slash complaints department, right. Craig Haley. Um, but let's start things off here with the number one seed, North Dakota State, taking on number eight seeded, Colgate. This is the first time these schools have ever met against each other. Colgate going out to play in the Thunderdome of, in Fargo. This game, I think, is the perfect storm. This is a, a very interesting game, and I think this, what this game is going to come down to is going to be a series of questions. And the first question is going to be asked by North Dakota State, and that question is going to be stop us running the football. Can you stop us running the football? If Colgate responds yes, then the question will come from Colgate Beat us throwing the ball. Can you do that? We saw what happened with JMU, a team that had a mediocre offense relied a lot on the running game this year, not strong at the quarterback position, forced them to throw, and they got five picks, and they won the game. I'm just saying, the perfect storm, I think, is there for this. If there's
1: any defense that's going to stop North Dakota State, it's Colgate. You're right. If there's any defense that's going to stop North Dakota State, it's going to be Colgate. Where this game will have to be won, as with any football game, but more in particular in this ball game. Along the line of scrimmage. Huge. JMU had success against that offensive line of Colgate. True. Defensively, you don't worry about it because they can find ways to create pressure with quick pressure and things of that nature. So they can match up against the Bison, bigger offensive line. I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about Colgate's offensive front against his defensive front of North Dakota State. The other thing I worry about, passing game of the Raiders. True. Can they be consistent enough Throwing the football in
0: a way though it's kind of looking in a mirror between Brenneman and Easton Stick, two quarterbacks that are more comfortable running
1: than they are throwing. But you look at that game last week, man. Brenneman missed. Colgate should have blown out JMU. True. There were a lot of missed touchdown throws by Brennerman.
0: which leads to the question: If he's on his game, how much did they win that game by? If if was a fifth, we
1: all'd be drunk. Well played, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so those are the those are the questions. But I, I, I'm with you with this is the this is the matchup. And I'm guaranteeing that Colgate will be wearing the weight of the Patriot League, the weight of the underrated conference that doesn't get in, You know, battling not only North Dakota State, but the, battling the beast of the Missouri Valley Conference. This is a huge game, and I, I do believe it's going to be one that – and I'm glad it's at noon yeah. because it's going to be must-see TV. And I, I'll, I I will be at practice during this time. So I'll have to be watching it on my phone uh, as I'm covering the FCS bowl practices. Mm-hmm. But this game is, I wish it was the Friday night game. Yes. But my goodness, this is a box office matchup. But this game is, that game is on
0: ESPN proper. Proper. ESPN proper on Saturday afternoon. Going to be a tremendous performance there between two, strength versus strength. Next game on the schedule. This is an interesting one as well. This is on Friday night. This is on ESPN 2. More national coverage. Weber State taking on Maine. Now, remember what happened last year at this stage when Weber State had a nationally televised game. They were taking on those JMU
1: Dukes. They had that game won.
0: They should have won that ball game. They had every opportunity to win that ball game. They had a lead in that ball game. They had to make (laughs) one defensive stop in that ball game. They didn't do it. Does that play in their mind as they take on the UMaine Black Bears. Now, again, talk about travel. You're going from Maine to Utah, plus the elevation. But nothing has stopped UMaine so far. They don't care. And they just put up 55 points, which is unheard of for the UMaine offense. This is
1: all of a sudden a really intriguing matchup, and it's the first time they've ever played each other. might be the second best matchup of the day, of the, so of the good. week. So good. And <laughs> I love that Maine... Has no excuses. No, they don't have. They can't use the weather excuse. And here's the thing they don't they, care. Exactly. <laughs> There's no. They're, they're, we've beaten the FBS team. We've beaten a, a, a top-rated FCS team. You know, we beat Towson. We beat Elon. To beat JMU, we beat J- not JMU. Uh, they, yeah, <laughs> they, they did beat JMU, right? No, they didn't play JMU. Uh, Jacksonville State. They beat Jacksonville State. They beat URI. So, I mean, they are literally playing with house money. Yeah. This is going to be a fantastic matchup. And outside of Colgate, Maine matches up better with North Dakota State than anybody else in the the rest of the field.
0: And what's going to be interesting about Maine, too, is you talk about their quarterback
1: as well, Chris Ferguson. Ferguson, who, yeah, I said Thompson early, but yeah, Ferguson. Only threw for 159 yards last week. How many touchdowns? Five. Bingo. So you don't have to air
0: the ball out. On the other side of the ball, though, Weber, again, quietly has put up one of the best teams that we didn't think was going to win you look back at the beginning of the podcast, we look like idiots yeah. at the Big Sky preview because we all thinking, okay, Weber, Weber might they get They lost in. a lot of good players. They might slip in as an at-large bit. This team looked fantastic all year long. They're the underrated team out of the Big Sky. Really. Because Monumental about, matchup, man. Because everybody talks about Eastern Washington and their powerhouse offense. Everybody talks about Keelan Dawson and the UC Davis balanced offense. No one's talking about Weber again. There's a lot of disrespect about that Wildcat program. It's a Friday night game, man. Friday night game. That's at 8 p.m., by the way, folks, on ESPN2. 8 p.m. start on that one. This is an interesting one. This is the only matchup of teams that have faced each other before. Eastern Washington, the number 3 seed, taking on number 6, UC Davis. What's interesting about this matchup, they've played each other seven times. Eastern Washington is 7-0. So, I mean, they, they haven't lost. Uh, that, would, that would be correct. Okay. And they're back on the red turf. We've talked about how good Eastern Washington's offense is. They're explosive in many different ways. We've also talked about how much talent is on the UC Davis offensive side of the ball. Could this game end up in like
1: the 60s or something like that? Is there any defense worth watching at all in this ball game? You know what? It's interesting because I think these two teams are very similar. I think that it's going to be looking like first team versus first team, yeah. you know, as far as yeah. how they match up. They they have great quarterbacks. They can run the football. They have talent at receiver. Their defenses are opportunistic. This is going to be a tough game to call, yeah. And with the stakes that are at, you know at stake in this one, yeah, this is going to be. I would if I had to pick the overtime game of the weekend, it would be this mm-hmm.
0: one. Yeah, because again, you got the Keelan Doss factor on the outside, but again, they haven't focused on him. That was the, what we were questioning. What was you know how much they're going to focus on him and and how they win games. They really haven't. Well Have you he seen he,
1: how good their success is Well, he did his thing uh last week. <laughs> yeah, in the first did. half it was eight catches for like one twenty five in the first half. <laughs> Something ridiculous. It's like this dude is this dude is, he's probably gonna be and you know, the senior bowl does a great job of putting out uh out, shout out to Jim Nagy. Uh they do a great job of, of interacting on social media and also putting out the accepted invitees on Mondays. So yeah. it wouldn't surprise me to see him be the next FCS guy to get the invite uh, yeah. because they have a couple that have already accepted their invite, and I'm excited to see who who's going to be the guy Monday to, to really accept. So we'll see, but that game is going to be phenomenal. So you've
0: got tremendous matchup in one versus eight, incredible matchup two versus seven, probably the tightest ball game of the weekend in three versus six. The matchup between four versus five is, I think, I, can, I think you can put this. Pretty, pretty plainly The weirdest game of the weekend Because you got Kennesaw State at home Running their crazy option Against South Dakota State Who we know loves to fly But has a tremendous defense This game uh, th- This game can be quantified as weird In every, in every facet This game is either going to last about 5 hours Or 2 The question is which one
1: Let's get weird, man. Like I, I, <laughs> I, I like know. I like these matchups. I don't
0: know how to pick this game because it's there's so many. It's not like oh they they've done well against running offenses. Yeah, but they're not playing option offenses.
1: Styles make fights, man. Th-
0: this is it's it's so there's so many different angles this game could
1: take, and you don't know which one it's going to go. Styles make fights, and this is another heavyweight bout for Kennesaw. We saw them answer the, the, the test or answer the questions last year in in, the, in their playoff run. Last last week, last two weeks for
0: them have been their wake up call. They had that six overtime game against, or seven overtime game against Jacksonville State, and then they had the really tight ball game against Wofford. I think that's a wake up call for them.
1: Yeah, and, and so you look at South Dakota State. I mean, how good have they been? Silently, almost silently, never mind quietly. Silently, silently. they've been ninjas over here. Right. I mean,
0: they've got a decent defense. They're top fifty in most of the defensive categories. They're only allowing 20 points a game. That's 13th in the, in the FCS right now. But offensively, they're 9th, 24th, 16th. They're putting up 45.9 points a game. That's number two. Like, this is a really good... They're having 500 yards a game on offense. Find me the downside. That's what I'm saying. This is a team that's completely... <laughs> they're being completely ignored completely you, they're being ignored like you, you know how you're you're cooking thanksgiving dinner and you like you swear you're smelling something burn and Grandpa's like no it's there's nothing wrong with my <laughs> turkey there's nothing wrong. i, I swear there's something <laughs> no there's nothing wrong over here there's like no 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 we're, we're being killed right now. There's, there's nothing we got to get out of here south dakota state is that team where you don't you, you don't expect anything from them and yet look what they've done they, they should have beaten south, north dakota state in the regular season
1: listen <laughs> i'm trying to get you to say something and you're not here's gonna do it. here's the question i have about this ball game weather true if they're dealing with snow now we've seen option work in rain well remember this is in kennesaw this is in georgia oh so they're traveling
0: Kennesaw oh. kennesaws at home they're the higher seed oh. that's what makes it interesting so you get out of your cold weather but then again, you have a chance for a torrential thunderstorm. <laughs> like right, walking to Georgia, the south,
1: right? In the south every day. Right. So, so. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think you're going to see good weather in Georgia. That's north Georgia. So, you might see some cold. You don't see snow, but you'll see some yeah. cold. You, there's, mountains. There's, there's some weird climates in
0: this game. you got Kennesaw, Georgia. you got the Dome in Fargo. Then you've got eastern Washington on the red turf. But then you have the altitude in Weber. Yeah. There's some
1: four very distinct climates at these bog. And how uh, how is the altitude in Maine? Cuz that's like East not, Canada.
0: It, it well you're again you're on the ocean. There are some mountains. You get you get up where orono is. There are some mountains but up that But it's not way. like the elevation in the Midwest. Oh no, it, it, it's not, it's not it's not Rocky Mountain elevations. I can okay. tell you that. So it'll be Again, I, I the question is now, you talk you see NFL teams deal with this when they play games in
1: Mexico. How early you travel out to adjust the conditions. It's so funny to think of high elevation below the equator. It's so weird. It doesn't make sense, right? It's so weird. It, it doesn't. I was like, man, Mexico City is higher, has higher elevation than Louisiana, which is below sea level. Yeah, and this is bizarre. Love the way the world works. But it's going to be some intriguing ball games. We'll see if those conditions maybe
0: affect some teams. You know, So Imagine if you get a game and it's like in the mid fifties down in Kennesaw with like sixty like seventy five percent humidity, that's not gonna be the useful the usual uh, condition for South Dakota. True.
1: I, I've never been to Maine.
0: It it's a great place. I
1: I have I <laughs> out of the fifty states, um, fifty one if you count Puerto Rico. Yeah, uh, out of the fifty states, fifty two if you count Guam. But <laughs> out of the fifty states, I have I think maybe I haven't been to seventeen, maybe? Maine's a fun place man I'm telling you we'll, Maybe 20 states I haven't been to
0: Next year road trip to Orono Yeah Next year we take a road trip up to Orono we'll, I'll show you a good time up in Portland before we get there Because there's not much in Orono I was about to say <laughs> it's a, We stop in Portland to have fun Then we go to Orono How far <laughs> is
1: Orono from Augusta?
0: From Augusta? Probably about an hour Man it's like literally it's southeast up, Canada it's
1: north, of, it's north of Bangor So you get north of Bangor Damn that, that's Canada. the only other city I, w- I know in Maine so yes. it's past all three of those cities: Portland, Bangor, Augusta. This PSA is brought to you by the State of Maine <laughs> <Exactly>. Tourist Association,
0: <laughs> folks. Let's that's going to wrap things up here. We've got some incredible quarterfinal matches. Again, two of the all of these games are on ESPN's family of networks and platforms. The UC Davis, Eastern Washington, and South Dakota State Kennesaw games are on ESPN three. Those games, um, the Kennesaw game is at two o'clock. Eastern Washington, UC Davis is at four o'clock. Those are on ESPN three. Friday night, 8 o'clock, Maine at Weber State. That's on ESPN2. And at noon on Saturday, ESPN, Colgate at the
1: Bison. And Sunday at 9.30 a.m. will be the FCS Bowl, which you'll, you can find the broadcast on Flow Football, flowfootball.tv. 1.30 p.m., the National Bowl, Flow Sports, flowfootball.tv, I will be the color analyst for both, but follow me all throughout the week because you'll see all of my practice video highlights and all the highlights from uh, the the weeks of practices and things of that nature.
0: And so hopefully soon as well, we're looking at award season coming up soon. We're also looking for updates from uh, in-conference awards. We're looking for the Bushnell Cup winners coming out today from the Ivy League. So keep an eye on all of that. We'll be keep, keeping an eye on the, co- on the coaching carousel, but these four games this week, folks, are going to be incredible. Find a way to get two or three screens going at once, because you're going to need it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening in. Again, if you want to listen back on this podcast, subscribe to Football Game Plan on SoundCloud or iTunes, and Emery will have his video coming out later on in the week. Folks, thanks for listening in. We'll talk about the semifinals next week.